0: Hello, hello, hello. Got the Brittany mic going. How are you guys? I am as surprised to see me up here as you are. Um, about three weeks ago, Darren, Darren called me and, and was just like, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you could speak on October 7th. And I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, maybe that we kind of talked about it before. I'd done some, uh, spoke at a youth camp last summer and I'd done a few things here and there and, and whatnot. And he was like, he assured me, he was like, you know, there's literally no one else willing or available, so it's kind of on you. I was like, oh, that's nice of you to say. Uh, then I'll definitely do it. I don't know. And then he, then he went on to kind of say, like, you know, we've been, we've been talking about disciples and, and how Jesus used the, the least qualified people to do amazing things. I'm just like, this is supposed to register as encouraging and I don't know if it is or not, but um, anyway, so I'm very glad to be here, and I, 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 am, I am happy to be talking, and uh, it's a different, you know, it's different, I've done some other things, but it's different to talk to you guys, you guys are my family, and that's uh, strange, um, uh, and then as time went, so from, there was a time that he asked me to speak, and then it's been two or three weeks, and then things started happening that kind of became my way of disqualifying myself from being able to do this, um, for example, I mean, weeks now, we have spent lots of time at the garden talking about our budgets. And we value uh, we value how we spend our money, especially leaders at the garden have to have, need to have that under control. We, we think there's something about stewarding our money well. And to be honest with you, as I discussed with Darren, I'm like, you know, Tara and I are really, we're still getting it together. We're not where we need to be. So this is something that I'm just like, you know, uh, what can I say? I, I'm speaking from a place of authority here, but our budget's not exactly where it should be. That's one thing. And then any married couple, knows that things like money not being exactly organized over time, over years of time, it can kind of build a sense of tension, some friction, and then uh, all of a sudden, random little moments that would seemingly be kind of innocuous, innocent situations become the valves of release for all of that crazy baggage. And, uh, for example, um, we have become fans of Arrowhead bottled water what could possibly happen with a story that has to do with arrowhead bottled water but not just any arrowhead bottled water sparkling fizzy carbonated arrowhead bottled water it's delicious if you haven't tried it you should try it so we now buy six packs of this stuff we have them in our refrigerator we have um, established very solidly that these are to be used for our specialty juice drinks And if you're not familiar with the specialty juice drink, we also have jugs of of apple juice. We have cranberry juice. We have all kinds of juices because my wife loves them. And so we take a glass, we put ice in it. We fill it two-thirds with the juice, one-third Arrowhead sparkling water. It's delicious. It dilutes it just enough, and then it gives it a nice zing, a little punch, if you will, that the regular juice wouldn't give you. Uh, You guys can take that in Pinterest or whatever you do with that little piece of information. Um, Delicious drink. And so there have been times in the past where I have, you know, snuck and grabbed one of those and just drank it just to drink it, because I was thirsty. But we don't do that. We don't do that. Those are $3 a piece, all right? So that's the backstory of where we were when one morning over the past couple of weeks, I was rushing around to go to work. I'm in a hurry. I'm thirsty. I went up, opened the fridge, and there it was, a half-used bottle of Arrowhead sparkling water. And to me, the half-used kind of takes us out of the normal rules, right? This is not just a regular, it's half used. Grabbed it, took it to work, drank it on the way to work, refreshing, loved it, got to work, went through my, came back home. And I had forgotten about the bottled water, no big deal. But then I, uh, I saw Tara and, uh, and she said, oh, did you, did you drink, the, drink the bottle of water the Arrowhead? That was the half bottle I had used. It. I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I did. I, I drank it. Um, I, had a, I had, I was very thirsty and I just, I drank it. She's like, you didn't use any juice with it, did you? I was like, no, nope. I, uh, I didn't. I was just thirsty, and then that became the valve of release. For all of our budget, it turns into, oh, you know the, the rules, those are $3 a piece. You don't even know how we're spending our money. And somehow I turn into Jerry Seinfeld when I argue with my wife, like, what is this all about? No, what does this mean? And then just this whole thing, we're wasting money, we're just spending, and da, da, da. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot, there's no way I can speak at the garden. Uh, I, we're arguing about Arrowhead bottled water is at the source of our grand mall Relationship arguments. This completely disqualifies me. Um, so that was another thing. Uh, I got permission to ask that, by the way, uh, because I, that would have made it worse just now, wouldn't it? Um, she's fully on board. Sorry, I'm, I'm fully owning the Darren here. Got the bottle of water. Talking about my wife like he does. She's so pretty, she's beautiful. Um, <laughs> And uh, next thing, I'm also a newish dad, newish, my baby's almost eight months old, beautiful little girl, Um, and so as a new dad, there are all kinds of things that you can do wrong, and I did the worst one so far from the time between when Darren asked me to speak here and this moment today, a few days ago. Uh, Got home from work late, which often happens. I work late a lot of times, not a big deal. Got home, Tara was asleep on the couch, woke her up. We talked, we chatted. She went to sleep. About an hour later, I went to sleep. And I took our our little portable baby monitor, video monitor, so we can see and hear everything, even in deluxe night vision. It's amazing. And I'm certain the neighbors are somehow tapping into this, by the way. I know that they can see it too because it's wireless. Anyhow, uh, I took that in and I put it on the bed table beside her like I always do or like we always do. She usually does it, but I forgot to plug it in. So a couple hours later in the middle of the night, it died. And so our little baby girl usually wakes up at five o'clock in the morning, almost on the dot, sniffling, and then whining, and then crying, and then it wakes us up. And then we go in because she's hungry, and she needs a diaper change, and we need to feed her. Well, we woke up at 6.45, and I woke up to a frantic wife, Gosh, the thing died, you didn't plug it in, and oh no, and then she's crying about it, and the baby's not crying, and then I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm a terrible dad. So I ran in there, and our baby who usually then sees me come in, like really lights up with crying and stuff, not a noise. And I walk over, and there she is, just hunkered over, fully awake, and having cried out every last tear, chewing on her little blanket, just gives me the most sad, neglected look. And I'm like, I just melted into a pile of poo, and I am just the worst father. Ever and then I changed her diaper, and st- she 's still no noise. Um, all these things have qualified me to be disqualified from speaking in my mind, along with you know things of uh, lack of discipline in other areas, and things that just I feel like need to be in line before I could do this. Um, I say that mainly to say to you that isn 't this kind of what we do? Um, we come up with and point to the things that we don 't quite have in line where they need to be in order to sort of disqualifying us from doing what. God wants us to do. There are things that God wants to use us to do right now as we are, despite the things that you see and define yourselves by that are not quite in order. Not to say they shouldn't be in order. I need to plug in the thing and I need to take a little more care, be a little more sensitive about our finances. All that's true. Those things are not in and of themselves reasons to sort of disqualify me for doing anything that God wants me to do, as can be said for all of us. So, all of that to say, that ties into the theme of today. The theme is identity. Talking about identity, um, and that's kind of a big, overarching kind of deal. It involves elements of psychology and, and all this stuff. But I want to talk about it in the context of how we identify ourselves in relation to God and who God says we are, and, and who we sort of see ourselves as because of that. Um, and there can be a, a lot of different things, but I, I want to kind of tease that out here. Um, it's something that I, that I've talked about. It's been a resounding theme for me in my life over the past year or so. Um, so. Few things to say about that. Here we go. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. In fact, you don't have to turn because guess what? It's going to be on the screen. But if you want to turn, you can. I'm going to read through a ton of stuff. This is going to be a very long, lengthy scripture reference. But before that, I will pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity uh, to be here in this very strange capacity for me to speak to these people. I pray for your, um, your spirit to be here, for, for your words to be spoken. Um, I pray that there will be some sense of truth, some sense of who you are, a picture of you that's painted through these words and through these scriptures and through what you have to say about us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 3, when I, I grew up, I, I actually went to a Christian high school. I, I memorized this entire chapter, and I don't remember it. So I will, but at some point in my life, I had all this memorized. That was an attempt to seem a little more theological. Um, three, two, one. Here we go. Stick with me. This is a lot, but I, let's get through it, and then we'll keep moving. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. So there's a lot there. I want to I kind of leave that behind for a second. We're going to come back to that, but that's sort of the, the background for everything that we'll be talking about. Um, and I'll take a second here to tell you a little bit about me. So, uh, and I mainly say this because this was kind of the platform from which I spoke in my other, uh, other places um, about my job. My job is primarily at this point for the past couple years has been interviewing um, the casts of new movies. So I interview, I have like sit down interviews with celebrities or do red carpets and things like that and um, for a cable network. And um, so that has afforded me a unique, adv- a unique perspective I guess to in some ways get a little bit of a sneak peek into the world that exists around these types of people. Um, and it specifically has made very clear the concept that I, d- I don't think is a foreign concept to us but that uh, celebrities' public figures. Have public images that we see There are versions of them that we see That are manufactured oftentimes by teams of publicists And managers and agents and people that have interest In pitching this person or positioning this person In a certain way for the public to see. This happens whether it's movie stars, TV, you know, politicians were in that season, things like that. It always, that, that goes on. Not such a foreign concept. Um, I've even had situations where I'm going to walk into a room and interview someone who's maybe in the middle of, uh, of, of a tabloid frenzy and there, there's all this sort of craziness going on around them. And the publicist will say, don't ask anything personal, just stick to the movie, which is fine with us. We don't really go that way anyhow. But just it's illustrating the fact that there, is great deal, there are great deals of effort made to position people in a certain way. The reason I say that is that I believe on a much smaller scale we all do this in our everyday lives. We have a version of us that we kind of prop up and show the world, whether it's our friends or family or people at church or people at work or or wherever they are, a version of us that we prop up that may or may not reflect uh, the truth of who we are. Sometimes it could be blatant hypocrisy. Um, but it could be a little more nuanced than that in that maybe we're not even fully aware of the walls that we've put up based on our life experience and based on the maybe the the pain of the past or different broken relationships and things that that there is possibly this counterfeit version of me that everyone else sees and I'm somewhere hiding behind it that's the concept that I want to kind of talk about and we even do that I mean, as Christians, we do it, for sure, as much as anyone. In the garden, in the way our community is sort of organized, we all do community groups, or we want you to join a community group today. Um, that's a plug for the community groups. If you guys haven't, you need to. But in community groups, maybe we, maybe we also, you know, we kind of share certain things, don't share certain things. We keep relationships on a surface level. Um, it can even break down to, like, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, our finances. All that stuff plays into this image that we put out there. Um, so as Jesus' followers, there's this, this, this idea that we could live with this duality. So I'll, I'll kind of break it down in this way. Let's imagine that on, in this column of identity and defining oneself, there is, this is sort of the life experiences column. There's, there's this concept that, you know, we're obviously, we, we look to our past experiences, whether it be uh, failures or successes, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of those things sort of define who we are here. The pain of broken relationships or abuse or lasting scars and rifts in who we are, that we kind of, that we kind of see ourselves through this filter. Um, and that can include so many different things. But then on the other hand, um, we have a column where there's a, there's a truth to how God defines us as people. These are things that, that he says are true about us, but it's up to us to live like they are. So these things are true about us already, whether or not we live like they are true. But they are true, especially for people who have said, yes, we're following Jesus, we're going to live a life after His, after his the way he lived and, and after his calling. These are things that are true about us. It's up to us to live like they're true, and correctly align and give authority to what God says about us over these other things. These things certainly do define us. It's not this, it's not this crazy concept that, like, just forget about all the, all the past, the bad, and the good. No, those things exist. Those things make up who we are, but they should fall under the authority primarily of what God says we are first. Does that make sense? Great. So there are lots of places we can look to find what God says. Scripture is full, uh, full of references for that. I have come up with a list I will read off these verses. Um, I'm no theologian, so there is plenty of context to a lot of these verses that would probably be able to be parceled out into other things. I'm going to boil them down to a meaning that serves my purposes today. So give me a pardon today, okay? Here we go. Nothing but integrity up here. Let's see. Don't, you don't have to flip through. I'm going to read through these, and then I'm going to make a declaration about what this verse, how this verse applies to us today. What does God say about us? Who does God say that we are? Romans 3, through twenty-four, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile; for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we're declared righteous; we're justified; we're not guilty of sin. Romans eight one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we're not condemned. Romans 8, 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So we're free. We're free from sin and death. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are reconciled. We're brand new people. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Anyone listen to Christian music as a kid? Nope. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So we are empowered. And this final one is one that I love maybe more than the rest, a great little uh, passage here. Ephesians three seventeen to 21, halfway through 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We are loved. And we're even loved beyond what we can measure or imagine. And if we could grasp that, just think how differently we would live, how, how, what kind of... What kind of impact that would have on our sense of ourselves and our identity in Christ and our identity just as full people with this alignment in place? So there's that big list. Um, what would it look like if we identified ourselves the way God identifies us? If we saw ourselves through the filter that God sees us? Have you guys heard of N.T. Wright? Anyone? Nope, yep, few. Uh, when I first moved to Southern California, I lived in Pasadena with a roommate, a college roommate of mine, who was going to Fuller Theological Seminary. He quickly turned me on to N.T. Wright. And it turns out that all kinds of people think this guy is sort of the rock star, the pop star of modern theology, okay? So if you imagine that you uh, took, uh, you know, if there was an embodiment of Justin Bieber, Tom Hanks, and then Morgan Freeman were embodied in the most rock star theologian of the modern day, it would be N.T. Wright, Justin Bieber for the star power, Tom Hanks for the accessibility and friendliness, and then Morgan Freeman for the sheer heft of his words. (laughs) That is N.T. Wright in the world of theology. Darren gave me this guy. N.T. Wright's written many books that are over everyone's head, but he wrote, he's done a series of commentaries that are very accessible, the Tom and Hanks part, uh, and this is one of them. Darren gave me this uh, in order to kind of you know, give some perspective to this, this Colossians scripture that, that I read. Um, and it turns out, after I read and learned, um, the people in Colossus, that's where, that's where he, Paul was writing, the people in Coloss— Paul thought they needed to know what it looked like to move to the next level. These are people who, they're following, they've converted to Christ, they're following, they want to be Jesus' disciples and followers, but what does it look like to mature to the next level and become the next level of of a church in that world, right? So he's kind of giving some level of of declaration there. I'm going to break down the verses just a little bit. Verse two, one of the most powerful ones and maybe a stage setter for this whole thing. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So it's a call to adjust and realign your mind and how you identify Yourself in the world. Verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That should be easy enough to do, right? Um, It's easy to look at that section and see it as sort of a, you know, sort of fist in the face, kind of like, don't do this or else. And maybe there's an element of that in the scripture there. Maybe there is an element of like, don't do this or else. But more than that, given the context of what Paul's saying here, This is uh, not solely sort of an admonishing of the people. He's he's inviting them to relinquish the things that previously defined who they were. In other words, this is no longer who you are. This is now who you are, so live like it. These are just the things that happen when we acknowledge and we prioritize what God says about us, who he says we are, on top of the the things from our past that that have defined us. Verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's an invitation into the newly defined reality since you've been, it says, therefore, so therefore, since you've been raised with Christ, since you have realigned with this identity, you know who you are based on what God has said about you. Accept the invitation to define yourself with this reality. You no longer have to live with or present the counterfeit version of you. You no longer have to uh, live under the falsehood hood of the counterfeit version of yourself, which ultimately ultimately breaks you down into being who you truly are and ultimately builds the community around you. The theme that we've been talking about the past four weeks, kingdom, disciple, mission, church. In some ways, this, this talk of identity and getting this part right plays directly into that. It's sort of the foundational level um, element of all of the things we've been talking about. If we're people that are called to be agents and sort of on the cutting edge of the kingdom... Um, people whose transformed lives are, by their very nature, changing the lives around them in, the, in their sphere of influence, in our sphere of influence. If we're to be those people, we have to we have to somehow align ourselves with the truth of who we are in God because of what He said, and live in that. Not constantly thinking, "I left the I left the thing unplugged." No, yes, that happened, but I, God says something about that, or you know. There, there's this abuse in the past. There's something here that, that lives over here that disqualifies me. I've never had X, Y, or Z to reconcile this or fill this. So there's an issue of shifting that mentality and living in the fullness of that that gives us the ability to then, you know, administer all those things and be those agents of the kingdom at the cutting edge. Have you guys ever heard of the Magic Castle in Hollywood? Have you ever been there? Because I have. <laughs> I hate the name drop or place drop. Um, very bizarre place extremely weird it turns out it's kind of if you don't know it's literally a bit of a castle that's in Hollywood just behind Hollywood and Highland area up on the hill and it looks like a castle and this is the place where the top ringer elite magicians come they, they, they are members there and you have to be the creme de la creme, the top, I mean, the top shelf magician, all right? You better be able to make this building disappear like that in order to get on the, the, the list at the magic castle. And so it turns out I was friends with, through a work connection, I ended up being friends with a guy who is an up-close magician at the magic castle, which means you go there and you go into a room, and you sit close to him, and he does magic, up close. That's the most self explanatory <laughs> title ever. And this guy is amazing. Like, you would be set, I mean, you literally could sit this close to him from the, t- and it's almost like this. And this guy is making like a cantaloupe disappear. And I'm just, I, I, you know, mind blown, unbelievable, price of admission right there, unreal. Funny we should talk about admission because it turns out to get in the place, not only do you have to fork out like 20 bucks or something and get on the list through a friend that's a member or whatever it takes. Um, you have to dress appropriately. Uh, and so we had, a, we had a night planned, me and my wife, and we invited some friends because, you know, I had the connection, guys. Let's go to the Magic Castle. This is going to be awesome, up-close magic. And uh, so they all came on board with me. They were ready to do it. We made a big plan weeks in advance. We show up, drive all the way up to Hollywood. We're at the Magic Castle. I'm, everyone's dressed up. The ladies have dresses on. The guys look good. I'm wearing a, a blazer, as Bill would probably call it, and a, a jacket, a sport coat and a button up shirt tucked in, nice belt, brand new fresh dark crisp jeans and some really great shoes. Looked pretty good, I think. And um, I'm just joking, stupid. Um, I get there and it turns out, even if you look like you are put together, you're not getting in without slacks on because formal means formal even to see magic. So what happens? We all get there. So, so here's everyone. Here's my wife. that with big plans. We've got the money and whatever. And here I stand, and I can't get in. I'm going to be an embarrassment to all of them. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to be an embarrassment to my friend who is the up-close magician. He has invited me here. Go check with him. Guess what? Still have to wear slacks. All right, great. So luckily, there have been fools before me who have made this terrible mistake, and they had a pair of extra slacks behind the counter, and wouldn't you know it, just exactly what you would expect, they're probably three sizes too big and their cut is from a decade or two ago. So there's their pleats everywhere and baggy McGee and the little weird like threading and stuff. And I, I, had, I had a brown jacket on and the pants were also brown, which would lead you to believe that this had some form of coordination, but it was exactly the opposite. It's like having two, like a, like a two versions of black on, like a, like a black jacket that doesn't, it's like a gray pant that doesn't go with it, awful. So they would rather me walk around zipped up with my belt as tight as it could go clumped around like a sideshow clown in the magic castle as long as i'm wearing slacks rather than let me in put together whatever the case i did it it worked i don't think i embarrassed many people other than myself all night i'm just like hovering like in areas (laughs) like this like oh here's the let me just get under the table here and sit anyhow um that was fresh. I didn't do that last service. And it, I, think, I think it landed. Um, <laughs> um, anyhow, all that to say, all that to say, there's this sense of something not fitting quite right. You're going to the Magic Castle, you wear the right pants. All right? You just your jeans might look great when you're not the Magic Castle, but you need to wear the right pants when you're in the Magic Castle. Now let me tie this into NT Wright, because obviously that's what this has to do with. Back to Rockstar. Um, as I read, early in the, 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 the first century church, and here I am fully Darren and Bill, as though I have like a, a, a sort of storehouse of random facts about the first century church just behind the curtain here. Um, if you study this stuff, apparently, in the first century church, as we all know, uh, if someone had decided to follow Jesus, they would then be baptized. We, we still have this tradition. Um, and and they, would, they would approach the baptism ceremony. They would lose the robe that they came in with. They would be baptized, after the immersion, they'd come out, they'd be given another robe, fresh robe. Usually it was white, symbolizing the purity of the life they were walking into and and sort of symbolizing this, drawing a line in the sand, I'm now now part of this life. Um, So M.T. Wright then makes this... makes this connection saying that Paul likely had the clothing change in mind here, right? He ha- he, when he was writing this Colossians passage, in verse 9 it's, it talks about looking, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. There's this language of the disrobing of something and the re-robing of something else that he's talking about. And in and, and use to illustrate that when we acknowledge and realign our identity according to who God says we are, that there are things that fit and then there are things that don't fit. Sort of like wearing jeans to the magic castle. For Paul, this was less about the rules and the regulations of don't do this and do this. It was more like this is your new reality. Now live like it is. This is the truth of who you are. Now put it on and let everything else fall under that authority. So the things that exist over here that you grip so tightly to, or maybe maybe you don't know that you're gripping so tightly, the things that just have you in a box, this is who I am based on X, Y, or Z over here, release that to the authority of what God says first, and then it will look like this. Therefore, do these things. I want to ask the, the guys to come up. I want to leave time for our communion at the end, but um, there was... I shared, and I told you guys, I, I shared some of this theme at a, a summer camp last summer. And um, one of the moments that really rocked me and that, that, uh, that connected to me in a, a powerful way and I, um, was when a junior high boy one night, in response to this sort of thought, the, rea- the reality is that there's, a, a, there's something bigger that can define us than the pain of the past. Uh, He came up and talked to one of the counselors, and the counselor told me that this this junior high boy had uh, lived through years of severe abuse in his house. He had a stepdad that beat his mother in front of him and sometimes beat him. And that defined who he was. And he didn't see anything beyond that. And so this was epic news for that guy, you know? The reality being that there is something bigger and greater that we can give authority um, to tell us who we are to tell us who we are in Christ, to tell us what things matter and what things don't. And so it's not that these things don't hurt anymore. It's not that this is suddenly washed away in some sort of fake level, I'm fine and I'm not. But it's that these things now fall under this unbelievable all-surpassing love, um, all-surpassing freedom, forgiveness, value. You're a son and you're a daughter, you know? You're, um, you're one of my beloved children. Like, that is huge especially in light of that, kind of that kind of story. And that meant everything to that kid. There's a, there's a Heavenly Father that supersedes anything that he's experienced over here. That was huge. So let's stand. And I, I want us to, in light of all this, I, I want us to, to just sort of close our eyes here and think specifically about the thing or things in your life that you need to realign and and I'm not even trying to whip up like an emotional churchy moment but just practically what is it that defines you that's just off point what is it that you're hanging on to to disqualify yourself from doing anything of meaning or anything of any legitimate effect what is that specific thing What incident or or element of your past or your present needs to ultimately fall under the authority of who God says that you are? What incident or element of your past or your present needs to fall under the authority of who God says you are? Just ask the guys to sing and for you to think about this and respond if you need to up in the prayer areas or there at your seat we'll do communion, but just take a few minutes to genuinely consider this, at least, and um, let God reveal things to you that that you may not even realize are dictating things about your life and who you think you are.